What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of people will tell you that college football is broken because coaches are trying to leave, but it's not. I got the answer for you today. And we have Panthers and Oregon legend Jonathan Stewart in the building today. And of course, my five takeaways from being at the Super Bowl. Of course, we got to take a lunch break. And that's up next here on Unafraid Show. Make sure you like, subscribe, tell a friend about the show. And of course, get notifications. Let's go. Being in Las Vegas for Super Bowl 58, I had five takeaways that I think are important. Number one, and my main takeaway from Super Bowl 58, is that the game should always be played in Las Vegas. I'm one of them people when people say whether it's football, baseball, basketball, hockey, F1, and they say, oh, it should always be in this same place. I normally don't subscribe to this, but in this case, a little bit different. And I get that people like to see the game move around. And now that Las Vegas has an NFL team, that's never going to go over well. But Sin City was built to host events like this. The Super Bowl is a week-long event, and Las Vegas is sustained by conventions as much as it is gambling tourists. Vegas knows exactly how to host, feed, shelter, and transport a few hundred thousand visitors in a weekend. And that's all without a year of preparations just to have the infrastructure in place to bring the big game into town. 
And what other American city can guarantee that the weather won't be a factor for the people in and around the stadium? Do you know what the Super Bowls were like in Minnesota, Dallas, and New York in February? And on to number two. Super Bowl 58 taught me that Brock Purdy is the definition of not too high, not too low. And Purdy is who he is, regardless of the situation. Whether it's playing in front of zero fans in the Fiesta Bowl during COVID or in the... 200 million viewers at the world's largest football party in Las Vegas. He's the type of grounded human that athletes spend an entire career on a sports psychologist's couch to try and scratch the surface of. And maybe that's his it factor because so much of this game is mental and Brock Purdy shows that type of measured humility. He's got perspective and poise that professional golfers would kill for, but he's an NFL quarterback. And you'll have to excuse me for being surprised that somebody with Drew Brees' arm strength at 38 to 41 years old is able to go out there and play with the confidence that Drew Brees did at age 30. The world is out here trying to fit Brock Purdy into a box, but Brock Purdy knows who he is. It's us trying to figure it out. And just like Ken and Barbie, that seems to be enough. And number three, Super Bowl 58 gave us Travis Kelsey's sideline temper tantrum at the expense of head coach Andy Reid. And the things that people are saying about that interaction are all over the place. Let's be extremely abundantly crystal clear about this. Travis Kelsey did not assault Andy Reid. Was it a good look? Absolutely not. But Travis Kelsey yelling at Andy Reid is only a big deal if Andy Reid thinks it's a big deal. And remember when Antonio Brown ran off the field shirtless after feuding with Bruce Arians? If Bruce Arians chalks that up to a passionate moment where Brown was just blowing off steam, that moment probably doesn't mark the end of Brown's playing career. And if Andy Reid can get over being yelled at by Travis Kelsey, there's no reason we should be offended on his behalf. Because Reid understands that the game is emotional. And at some point, we have to stop trying to apply real world things out into football. It's not normal life. You can't apply the same rules, standards, or practices. It's football. You're dealing with grown men in a locker room or on a field who are using violence to solve their problems and to get wins. And you expect emotions not to be high. No, you have to just accept it for what it is. And yes, there are times where things get out of hand and those things should be dealt with appropriately. But this wasn't it because Andy Reid understands that the game is emotional and he's no stranger to Kelsey's temper. He even talked about how far Kelsey has come with his anger in a pregame interview with Bill Cowher. Plus, for my friends that weren't born yesterday, you remember that Andy Reid survived the 2005 season dealing with Terrell Owens moods, right? He's probably going to get over this one, too, assuming he hasn't moved on already. Number four, all Super Bowl 58 did was reinforce my opinion about Patrick Mahomes deserving to be the GOAT conversation. Look, because you're not ready doesn't mean that it's not time to have this talk. Because to this point in his career, Patrick Mahomes has outpaced Tom Brady in every statistical category. Every other than Super Bowl rings, and in that department, they're tied. And it wouldn't have been insane to have this conversation about Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson after Michael Jordan's first three-peat. So why is it insane now? It doesn't diminish Tom Brady and all of his accomplishments at all. Because I'm always going to root for new feats of greatness. And what we're watching is incredible. And the entire point of somebody new coming along to set a bar for success is to give those who are brave and blessed enough a chance to clear it. 
because Patrick Mahomes is the man who is on pace to do it. And I'm supposed to root against him to protect Tom Brady fans from having to admit reality? No way, because if you were starting a franchise right now and you got to pick between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, you would choose Patrick Mahomes. I want Patrick Mahomes to clear that bar because that's what is inspiring today's middle schoolers to go out there and try to be even better than both of them and somebody's going to clear it. Number five. Patrick Mahomes might have gotten his third Super Bowl MVP with his clutch play in the fourth quarter and in overtime, but I'm having a hard time understanding why Super Bowl 58's MVP award went to anybody other than Mr. Chris Jones. Chris Jones made two of the most important plays of the game, because if it wasn't for Chris Jones, there would be nothing for Patrick Mahomes to catch up to. The 49ers would have run away with it in the second half. Brandon Ayuk is wide open in the end zone in overtime when Chris Jones forces Brock Purdy to throw the ball away on third and fourth. And in regulation, he bullied Brock Purdy into throwing the ball to Juwan Jennings for an eight-yard loss. Plus, he had another big play to force an overthrow to Debo Samuel. Plus, you had all the double teams and his help and run support. I got a feeling, though, that any disappointment that Chris Jones feels for not getting MVP recognition is going to go all the way in free agency, baby, when he becomes one of the highest paid players in league history. But I'm not sure this three-peat even has a chance for Kansas City unless the Chiefs are able to bring Chris Jones back. We got Jonathan Stewart in the building, Oregon legend, Carolina Panthers legend. Man holds a lot of records everywhere. Uh, Jay Stu, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, man, thanks for having me. All right, so let's start at the beginning, right? Why did you leave Washington to go to Oregon? Because I know Washington fans could not be happy about that. Because I didn't like purple. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a story behind it. little kid from Lacey, Washington, found a gift in football. Um, and I say a gift in football because my parents divorced and, you know, football was an outlet uh, for me to connect with other kids and, you know, male role models. But I chose Oregon, <laughs> basically, um, you know, through prayer. I asked for a sign. And long story short, I saw a sign. And if you've been on Interstate 5 going down to Oregon, you'll realize that there is a cross on a hill. As you get closer to Eugene on the left side, if you're coming down from Tacoma on I-5, I had a flashback of, oh, wow, that, that, that same cross lights up at night because me and my dad went to Las Vegas for my football tournament. And I remembered seeing this cross that lit up at night. So, yeah, man, it was that was the reason why I decided to go to Oregon is I asked God for a sign and I saw one. How has that shaped kind of you being a father of a couple of kids and being a being a husband the way that you grew up? You know, it's you know, whenever you find yourself in generational curses, you know, it's always a challenge that you're faced with every day um, yeah. to to overcome those. And and the challenge is to not not to be that, you know, yeah. not to be, you know, the father that, you know, shows weakness in times of the need for strength um, and being able to have better communication skills and understanding that, you know, softness isn't weakness, you know, being, being soft is being vulnerable and being vulnerable allows you to be a better human. Being a better human allows you to, you know, be accepted in ways that 
usually end up as a gift. I mean, the really the true gift is, you know, to be that person yep. for the people that you love. I think that as men, we get taught, like you said, that we're supposed to provide and what the idea of toughness and masculinity looks like when I've learned that being a man is not not showing emotion, but that it's being able to accept those emotions and then not let those things stop you and also be able to show care and compassion and love and discipline in yourself to those people who you love and care about the most. Yeah, that's spot on, man. Compartmentalizing is one of the gifts and curse curses of a great athlete. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> because if you can compartmentalize, you're going to be okay. That means yep. you, you know how to focus. You know how to turn the on and off switch on and be a serial killer one moment and then be, you know, a child of God the next. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but <laughs> the transition to college is sometimes very difficult, right? So I remember I went in, I redshirted my freshman year. The only person in our class that played was Keenan Howery. You come in and you're immediately a guy. Like what, what was your four years at Oregon? Well, three years at Oregon, like. It was a little bit of a blur because I mean Terrence Whitehead, like White. to this to this day, might be one of the most gifted act like find the hole. Yeah. Like I don't sneaky. know. He was just Yeah. And just yeah, just sneaky. Like one of the best he had the best feet. Kinda reminded me a little bit of like how Marshawn would find holes, right? Yeah. Uh Marshawn's obviously uh, on a whole different level of running backs, but like you know, it was a gift for me to be able to play behind Terrence Whitehead because um, I learned a lot, learned patience. I learned the importance of, you know, saving your body, not taking so many hits. He always used to tell me, hey, man, get down. You don't get no trophies for this. So a lot of people would be shocked when they would hear that. They're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. A guy as good as Jonathan Stewart dealt with doubt at some point in time in in his life and like and you're like he's highly talented so how the Nikki Glazer podcast. her roast of tom brady stole the show now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki glazer podcast i said tell tom brady that i'm the tom brady of roasting lots of people roasted the goat but only Nikki is still being talked about every time i refresh my dms it's 14 blue check marks of people i didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me hear that in all episodes of the Nikki glazer podcast on america's number one podcast network iheart open your free iheart app and search the Nikki glazer podcast to start listening if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. 
you'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C. And trending topics on social media. As well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. How did you deal with that doubt and what helped you overcome that? Oh, man, my my faith. Um, you know, God is, you know, God is, God is not first in your life, man. Like, you are bound to Drizan. So there's a lot of things that, you know, your mind hears and it's a lot of things that your mind tells itself. The first thing that I put in, in, in my brain in the morning is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It just means that you can do I need it. to prepare myself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and if you're and if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And so if you are capable of just being ready and being in position for when your time does come, everything else settles. People always ask the question of like, man, what's the number one thing you ever had to overcome in your life? And I'll say self-doubt. Mm. If you're a person that can say, I don't deal with self-doubt, you're lying. Yep. Because everybody deals with self-doubt. Even Kobe and if you talks don't, about if, that at times. Like yeah. where, where he would. When people say, oh, I'm just so confident. You you can be confident, but there are some times when you're all alone and you say, ah, I don't know about yeah. this. You got to yeah. get, get yourself back together. But you yeah. are famous for also, in addition to being a football player, like a hell of a pianist. And we've seen videos of you playing the piano when you were at Oregon and all that. Where did that come, that love of music come from? And how has that impacted your life? Oh, man, that came straight from my mom. Uh, my mom for Christmas got me a keyboard for my fourth grade for, for my fourth grade Christmas. Yeah. Um, third grade Christmas. And lo and behold, I sat down and I just started playing it, bro. And my mom Wait, started so crying. Are you self-taught? Yeah. I just what? It. I just, <laughs> yeah. So my mom was like, wait a minute. And so there's, you know, you can press the buttons that have songs on there. And it yeah. was number 31 slow rock. And I was playing the piano to this song, making my own song out of this song that was in the, like, you know, uh, yeah. part of the, the keyboard. And yeah, man. And ever since then, I just kind of always knew I could, you know, sit down and play by ear. And so when I got to college, um, that was definitely one of those outlets in Barnhart. Um, they had a piano downstairs. And so, you know, kids would come in from, you know, being out at night, um, you know, and I'd be sitting down there playing the piano, basically like a, you know, a person that's, you know, in the in lobby the, at, a ho- the- at a hotel or something. <laughs> or, in the, or in the airport, just sitting oh, yeah. there just playing, like just trying to make mm-hmm. everybody else feel good. Uh, how big of a part of your life is music now? It's a huge part, man. Um, it's crazy. The older we get, right, we turn into our parents, 
Like, what y'all listening to? Yeah. Y'all turn that crap that, off. What they talking about? Yippee yappin' and yippee 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 yippee. And so, man, it's really crazy because, like, I've gravitated towards a lot of different types of music, country music, yep, me rap, too. R&B, yep. um, EDM. And now I want to fast forward to them Carolina Panthers years because you got a chance to play with some really good players. Christian McCaffrey toward the end of your career. But obviously the biggest name was was Cam Cam Newton. You played with Greg Olson, like some really, really good players. What was kind of that Cam Newton experience like his rookie year when you guys obviously had a really good year and he played well? And it was like a phenomenon where, where you guys became like the most popular team in the league. Man, it was a it was a good time. The chemistry that we had, probably the best of any team that you could ever think of. We weren't necessarily the the most talented roster, but we had one goal and we all knew the same goal. Um I would say the word was alignment. When you have a group of men, coaching staff, players, when you have people understanding what the goal is, and they can all jump on the same ship and go towards that goal. Just imagine like how that should feel. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was fun. You know, people, you know, so much laughter in that lock, locker room that year, but it was just fun. It was, it just came easy. It was, it was a bunch of smart football players realizing that, Hey, we have something pretty special here. Yeah. I actually care about you. <laughs> that's that's, that, really, that's, that's really what it is. And that's, yeah. you know, like, and I'm talking about, you know, you, I can look at the whole roster and say, oh, I know that guy's family. I know this. I know his kids. I know where he's from. I know what joke to play on him. I know yeah. what name to call him to make him mad. I know what he likes to eat. Like, I know where his cleats are. I know, like you know, what I'm saying, like yeah. I know what I I know what to do to piss him off in practice. It was just one of those years where you just look back and you say, "Man, I'm so glad to be a part of that." It had to be wild in that locker room because I know Steve Steve Smith and man, boy, oh boy, especially him at that point in time, man, that man, I would have nicknamed him Volcano because he's nah. always no, man, ready. Listen. Listen, it, he's Steve Smith is one of the rawest, most authentic people on this planet, you know, and that's rare. They don't make people like Steve Smith anymore, and they probably, I, I guarantee you, there's not another person on this planet just like Steve Smith. It, he gives a team a baseline, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. hey, this is the BS meter, and it's all the way down there. <laughs> down to the ground. It's at the floor. It, you got guys like that on a team that's like, hey, look, no, nah, we ain't with that. But you can do all this other stuff, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, you, we can joke. We can laugh. We can play. We can whatever. But we ain't, we ain't with the BS. And, you know, that's how you really, you know, develop a manhood. Um, because all the BS is just a waste of time. For right now, we're in this locker room. I got business to see about. Remember on Saturdays? We'll have like donuts. The rookie offensive lineman will go get, you know, donuts. And one of the things that I always was mindful of was to hold on tight to whatever I was eating. And I could knock it out your hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. well, it'll be the last bite too, bro. And you, so, you know, you got that big brother that just like, 
I'm gonna get you. In the locker room, when people ask, like, do you miss it? It's like, nah, you don't really miss the games. You miss those interactions. Yep. This is the question that we ask everybody who has come on the show, which is in your life, what has been your biggest leap of faith? Man, I, I would say my biggest leap of faith was declaring for the draft. And I say that because that's how I felt. And it goes back to that self-doubt. Everybody else might believe in me in a, or see me in a certain light. But, you know, me having that injury, my my last year, my toe injury, ended up playing in the bowl game. And I ended up having a good game on a messed up toe. Some Wait, bowl. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you went for... 23 carries and 253 yards against UCF and was the Sun Bowl MVP on on a bad toe. Yeah, on a toe, on a toe that I ended up having surgery on in March of the year that I got drafted. I remember Coach Cam saying like, "Nah, this is this is your time. You need to Get go. Get up out of here, player. Get up, <laughs> Get up out, out of here. here. You, you did what you're supposed to do. You you rush for you rush for two C notes. And now you out of here." And so Coach Cam really gave me some confidence in, you know, who I was as a who I was as a player, as a man. Um, you know, I looked at him, you know, still to this day as as you know one of those fathers that I feel like God placed in my life. Um, man, for the obvious absence of you know my father during that time, I think the biggest leap of faith that I've actually taken was that because it was the biggest decision of my life and you guys he's jonathan stewart you guys can go check out charlotte lately and uh, make sure you guys watch the whole episode and everything else but uh we gotta go for a lunch break in just a second yeah we'll be back with jonathan stewart for uh reister or wrong we're at sean artisan noodle and we are with the uh with the famous las vegas phil and Vegas Starfish. You guys make sure that you guys follow them on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and everywhere else. They're giving you the best places to go, the best recommendations, the food, the hotels, everything, the whole shooting match. And I'm excited, man. Ooh. We got a great array of stuff here. Uh, for starters, we're gonna we got the spicy wontons. Uh, these are filled with pork uh, over uh, like a silky smooth wonton skin. Spicy, refreshing, juicy, really good. We got the cucumber salad, because we need some veggies in life. The shang beef noodle soup. This is what they're most famous for. The second most popular dish is the, are the dan dan noodles. Uh, all their noodles are made fresh in-house, and it's a big reason why I love this place. All right, let's go. These are uh, super pan-fried uh, beef pancakes. Kind of like a shallow bao and a dumpling got pan fried in here. They're super juicy. Uh, a lot of people kind of pick it up and, and have it squirt out the end. Man, so we just finished a great meal at Shang Artisan Noodle, and uh, the meal was so good. But I will have a piece of advice do not wear a white shirt. <laughs> it's toast. The dumplings were amazing. The fried rice was great. The hand-pulled noodles. But I did learn something about the about the knife-shaved noodles. Those were by far my favorite. Um, yeah, it's not on the strip. So if you're a person, I gotta eat on the strip. Listen, get off the strip. There are great places here. And this is one of the places that you need to come to. So there was too many dishes for me to go, you know, dish by dish. But overall, I'm giving this place 
8.9 out of 10. That means anything above 8.5, I'm going out of my way to come back. Amazing, loved it, fantastic. Make sure you get there. And now we're back with Jonathan Stewart for Reister or Wrong. Uh, Jonathan, am I Reister or am I wrong? If Jonathan Stewart weren't a football player, we would still know who Jonathan Stewart is in the world of music. Reister. Am I Reister or, or am I wrong? Your best game in college was at Washington. Only time you got a chance to play there. 31 carries, 251 yards, two touchdowns, 20 yards receiving, a 34-yard kick return. Or is it the uh, the bowl game that we talked about against US against USF in the Sun Bowl? 23 carries, 253 yards. Man, that's actually a tough one because all my life I was actually thinking to myself, the UW game was my favorite, my best game in my my career. But once you actually put the put that together, it actually makes me realize that you know that Sun Bowl might be my best game simply for the fact that I was hurt and I knew it was on the line. I knew that there was an opportunity there for me to really, you know, pave the way. Am I Reister or am I wrong? The order for NFC South hate is Falcons, Saints, and then Buccaneers. I'm going to say you're not wrong because I hit them all. I hit them all. <laughs> That's a good order. Am I Reister or am I wrong? Steph Curry is actually more famous in Charlotte than Greg Olson, Luke Keekley, Steve Smith, or even Cam Newton. Yes. Reister. You're, you're right. <laughs> That's crazy. He didn't even play there, which is wild. Am I Reister or am I wrong? Jonathan Stewart is a better piano player than Joey Harrington. Uh, Joey is like classically trained, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, I'm not better than Joey Harrington, but I can say that I can probably create uh, a better beat than he can. Okay. Hey, man, everybody has their own lane. And you guys, he's Jonathan Stewart, Oregon legend, Carolina Panthers legend. Jay Stu, thanks for coming on, brother. Oh, man, I appreciate you. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, 
pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I've been listening to people sound the alarm about the demise of college football since the confetti dropped on Michigan's national championship win over Washington. You had Jim Harbaugh leave the Wolverines for the NFL. Nick Saban retired. Jeff Halfley left Boston College to become an NFL coordinator. And Chip Kelly left UCLA after trying to become a coordinator anywhere that anybody would take him. Only to end up at Ohio State in the vacant spot left by Bill O'Brien, who took over at Boston College. And people point to these things as evidence that the once great college football empire has started to crumble. But it only took two days for Alabama to replace Nick Saban with Washington's Kalen DeBoer. It only took two days for Washington to replace Kalen DeBoer with Arizona's Jed Fish. And it took a couple of days for Arizona to replace Jed Fish with San Jose State's Brent Brennan. The Boston College job was filled after one week. UCLA was filled by Deshaun Foster in less time than that. People are lining up out the door to have a crack at being a college football head coach. And that's not what a dead or dying sport looks like. That's because college football isn't dead. It's just changing. Is it a drastic change? Yeah, for sure. And there's nothing wrong with the coaches staring down these changes and saying, ah, that's not for me, because in fact, it's refreshing. But I want to take a second to be intellectually honest about whether or not that that's actually what's taking place, because Jim Harbaugh didn't leave Michigan because he hated the transfer portal, NIL or player empowerment. He was actually doing the opposite. He was complaining constantly that college football wasn't changing fast enough and he wanted profit sharing. Nick Saban was the second oldest coach in the country behind Mac Brown. He would have been 73 heading into the SEC's annual November cupcakes, and he's not eternal. How many 73-year-olds do you know that are able to put in 15 hours a day for 11 months a year working around young people? And if you think that man lets societal changes dictate his decisions, explain how he won nine of his 11 SEC titles in the age of social media without ever being on social media. And don't get me started on Chip Kelly. He's a good dude and I like him and a good football coach. But it would be one thing if Chip Kelly had mastered college football prior to the transfer portal and NIL. But he's always done his own thing. But just because it got harder to operate outside the system doesn't mean that in Chip's case, the system was the problem. Because Chip was out here ignoring recruiting rankings, neglecting the Southern California talent pool, and hiring coordinators without the energy and appetite for selling UCLA's program. The energy was what they were missing. He was an innovator in college football. And because of that, he was always trying to ice skate uphill. And if it got too hard for him to keep his balance and be a contrarian, that's not a college football problem. That's a Chip problem. And now the Jeff Halfley thing is alarming because logic tells you that if you're young, energetic and have a high paying head coaching job somewhere that you're starting to gain some traction at taking a step back to become a coordinator. 
sounds illogical, right? But the quality of life in the NFL is better than it is in college. And Halfley's camp said that for him, college football was becoming less and less about coaching players, and he wants to get back to that. And that's understandable. But one case doesn't make a trend. And even if it is the start of a trend of head coaches stepping down because they don't feel equipped to handle all the responsibilities of the new landscape, that's not a bad thing. We need their knowledge. But as fans, we don't want unqualified, unmotivated dudes hanging on for a check. I've never been a college football coach, but I have a lot of friends in the profession and respect the hell out of the grind that it takes to not only thrive as a developer, recruiter, and schemer, but also be open to all the changes taking place in the game. But I don't want to hear any of them complain now, not, not even one of them when I've never heard any of them complain about the freedom of movement that has always been afforded to the coaches or the market value that helps them have access to salaries that most Americans will never see in their professions. And to the fans threatening to abandon the game that they once loved, do you not see the irony that the changes that are frustrating you and supposedly ruining college football are that the players have a fraction of the ability to act like their coaches now? Maybe the problem isn't the players having expanded rights. Maybe the problem is that the NCAA spent ways too long fighting against expanded rights and that they missed an opportunity to make football players employees of the university who are beholden to contracts and have protections that would allow coaches to get back to focusing on development and protect players from coaches being able to push them into the portal instead of, you know, doing their jobs. And I'm not going to negate people's feelings or push them away from college football. Although if you do pull a Jeff Halfley and you move on, you need to know the game will be fine without you. And what I'm trying to do here is point out that the sport you love is going through puberty. It's a little awkward right now. Covered in acne, it's moody, dramatic, wearing clothes once before they outgrow them. But this is all a natural metamorphosis. And because of the NCAA's artificial hormone suppression, I'd be even say that this is a case of late blooming. But college football will come out of this much, much stronger because the game is strong. And as long as the NCAA gets out of the way, players will be able to share in the profits their efforts generate. The television networks, apparel companies, and bowl sponsors eventually will take the burden off of fans for player compensation, as well as provide the Title IX funds that ensure a thriving existence of women's sports. The universities will then hire general managers in charge of talent acquisition and contract negotiations. And the coaches that aren't comfortable and insecure about what their players earn will have stuck around long enough to get back to what they wanted to do in the first place, which is coach football. But maybe... Maybe I'm just an optimist. Maybe the pessimists are right. And the NCAA deciding to force amateurism down our throats while the coaches, administrators, TV network executives, and corporate partners built generational wealth, then treated the players like cattle, and then bragged about trading office equipment for labor as a character-building exercise. Was college football at its best? Or maybe, just maybe, some change in growing pains are a good thing. Let that sink in. We need to talk about the 49ers head coach, Kyle Shanahan. At this point, the slander needs to stop because all I've seen since the Kansas City Chiefs scored the game winning touchdown in Super Bowl 58 was Shanahan blew it again. 
Yes, he was the offensive coordinator who built the 28-3 third quarter lead on the Patriots in 2017. He didn't make Jake Matthews hold and take the Falcons out of field goal range to end the third quarter. He didn't make Devontae Freeman miss a block that got Matt Ryan sacked. He didn't make Matt Ryan fumble on that sack. He didn't make Jake Matthews hold a second time with under four minutes left to take the Falcons out of field goal range again. You know what else Kyle Shanahan didn't do? He didn't give up the game-tying drive or two-point conversion or overtime touchdown that secured the biggest comeback win in Super Bowl history. And of course, you have the 2020 Super Bowl where San Francisco led the Kansas City Chiefs 20 to 10 with under 10 minutes left in the game. And then something clearly happened to Jimmy Garoppolo, who was 17 of 20 before he spent the second half of the fourth quarter missing receivers and holding the ball too long. And maybe that is Kyle Shanahan's fault. But maybe Kyle Shanahan deserves credit for getting Jimmy Garoppolo there in the first place. And maybe he's just got a hit if Manuel Sanders wide open and you got a touchdown. Let me repeat that in a way that people are going to look back on in 20 years as proof of Kyle Shanahan's genius. Kyle Shanahan won four playoff games with Jimmy Garoppolo, averaging 128 passing yards per game and a one to three touchdown to interception ratio. That's like being ahead in the last lap of the Daytona 500, despite three flat tires and sand in the gas tank. But we want to blame the driver, though. And this year, the 49ers had a lead in both regulation and overtime with less than 10 seconds to go on the clock. And I get that winning and losing is a zero-sum game. And to some, Kyle Shanahan's record of losing leads in the Super Bowl is alarming. But do you know how many people with a lifetime of coaching experience never get the opportunity to actually blow a lead in a Super Bowl? You got to get a lead to blow a lead. Kyle Shanahan is 44 and he's built San Francisco into a consistent NFC powerhouse. You know who else had teams consistently knocking on the door in his mid-40s? Andy Reid. That man got knocked out in the NFC Championship three times before he finally made it to the Super Bowl, where he got an early lead on Tom Brady, and then Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does. Kyle Shanahan is out here having to replace coordinators every year because of his success. He has a seventh rounder at quarterback, and he still had a lead on Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in overtime in the Super Bowl. And some of you take that whole close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades thing way too seriously. Take a lesson from Andy Reid. If somebody can get you to the table over and over again, it's only a matter of time before you get to feast. So count Kyle Shanahan out all you want to. Make fun of him for blowing leads in the game, unless you're a Patriots or a Chiefs fan. Your team had nothing to do with, but you and I both know. You would drop your favorite team's entire staff just to bring Kyle Shanahan in. Because you know that if Kyle Shanahan is at the wheel, you're going to see the finish line, even if the car breaks down right before it crosses. You guys, that's the Unafraid Show. Make sure that you like, subscribe, tell a friend about it, get notifications, because sharing means we can continue to bring great dope content to you. Uh, catch you next week. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. 
So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.